Welcome to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dig deeper into the subjects that matter to you. Today, I am joined by Allison Hale, the Executive Director of the Mercy Workshop. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's been a wonderful day. Just got back from the gym. So it's been a, it's been a great day today. In our podcast for the Mercy Cast, we talked about rhythms of resiliency and how sometimes rest can be a trip to the gym. And what would you tell our listeners who are sitting there and thinking, I'm just, I'm tired. I don't want to go to the gym. I'm exhausted. Here's what I would say to that. I was exhausted and you can be exhausted on your day off because you don't do anything. I think a sedentary lifestyle creates a little bit more of that fatiguey feeling and that exhausted feeling. And so I sleep better when I'm working out or I sleep better if I take a long walk in the afternoon. I'm in a better mood. I really am. Uh, I'm, I tend to be kind of a cranky, sarcastic person. And that's all well and good unless you're a pastor's wife. But my moods are improved. My career life is better. And I sleep better. So those are three reasons to get moving in some way. Well, and it's interesting because you say sedentary lifestyle, but I I know you and I know the work that you're doing through Mercy Workshop and you are anything but sedentary. And I think a lot of us think, well, I'm busy. I don't have time to do that, but we actually don't have time to not do that. Yeah, you're either going to spend the time in, in the gym or out on a walk or you're going to spend that time in the hospital. Honestly, right. I feel like I'm so passionate about just being healthy. Just either you take care of it now or you're going to end up paying for it later. And you sit, people sit all day in an office or we sit, I used to sit all day like making jewelry or sitting at my desk counseling. And it's it's exhausting just sitting there, I feel like. And so I've started kind of getting up every hour, going down those horrible stairs at the workshop walking around the tables, you know, and just maybe standing up at my desk just to get some stuff done because you just have to keep moving. You really do. And I'm, I'm 47. So my husband says I'm really super close to 50, which I'm three years away from 50. But as a woman, you start feeling it, I guess, a lot, a little bit earlier than a man, the aging process. And so listen, I'm, I'm 20 years older than all of the other people in the gym, but you have to do something or else you're going to pay for it later. Absolutely. I'm at that stage in my life without giving my exact age, which is 44, but I'm at, I think 44 is basically you take vitamins now. That's the stage of life that I'm in. And I'm taking vitamins. I really don't know what they do. I just take them. Someone okay. said you should take these. And I'm like, milk thistle. Sounds great. Sounds great. Ashwagandha. That's what I'm on. And so I love how we have started talking about what you do by how you rest and recharge, because a lot of us, we don't start from that point. We work and we work and we work until we need a vacation. And if we think about it, if we need a vacation by the time that we get there, we've already waited too long. We need to create these rhythms where we're kind of resting as we're going. I tell people I'm probably not going to retire because I'm taking my retirement now. I'm retiring as I go. That's kind of my approach. And so with the work that you do, resting makes a lot of sense. But for our listeners at home, they don't really know what Mercy Workshop does. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Mercy Workshop is a ministry and an organization that provides a job. In its essence, we provide a job to women who have been, who have come out of the sex trade or sexual exploitation in the Dominican Republic. We started the workshop because when we went out on the streets of San Pedro and in Juan Dolio, we were hearing the stories of the women 
they all are out there. Everybody that we met those first few years that were out on the streets, everybody we met were is because they didn't have the documentation or the education to work any other job. And I've said this before, a lot of people are confused by what trafficking looks like and sex trafficking looks like. So when they hear the story of our women that are, and they, they call our women prostitutes. And so they, they say, Oh, your women are there. They're out there by choice. I, I always come back with when you only have one choice, then it's not a choice. When every other choice is taken away from you, your documentation, your education, your, you know, your poverty level has put you in a place. The people around you pimped you out as children when you were a child, those choices are diminished to where there's only one way to feed your family. That's not a choice. No, that's and, exploitation. That's, that's yeah. Exactly. It's somebody exploiting your vulnerability. And, you know, and so we, we provide a job for them. They come to the workshop daily from 8 to 12 at, to 2.30. And during that time, they're sitting there making jewelry, but we pull them off the table for counseling for Bible study, a devotional time individually with them, they get a chance to take online classes to train. One of the one of the women just got trained in being a nurse orderly at a hospital. We give them other options. We create more choices for them. So when they leave Mercy Workshop, they can either work in this avenue or they can go in this direction or they can take this, these classes and courses. And so Mercy Workshop provides more choices for them than they came in with. And we do it by selling jewelry. They make beautiful jewelry and we sell the jewelry online and in at church events. And that's how the ministry is sustained. And so each woman has a hand in there in her own rescue, in her own recovery, but she also has a hand because she's making jewelry. She also has a hand in the recovery and transformation of other people's lives as well. And what I love about Mercy Workshop is when people come in, you give them kind of an easy on-ramp to working with you and learning skills. Could you describe what that looks like? We have what we call a daily program. And we actually learned this from an organization called Hadassah's Hope in Jacksonville, Florida. We go out on the streets and we were just out on the streets last week. And I talked to some of the women and, and they know about Mercy Workshop, but they don't know what it looks like. I'm like, hey, just show up for a day. We'll give you a day's wage. We'll teach you how to make a very simple piece of jewelry. You make a day's wage. And then if you do well that day, you can decide to come back another day and, and, and we'll tell you when to come back. And, and then there's also a three month program. Once they've come for a couple of days and then, then they come for three months and it's just, it's very simple. We teach them as the very first day they join the workshop, they're taught a very simple bracelet, beads on a string. But at the same time, they're, they're thinking about certain questions that I have for them. All they have, all they have to do is put a bead on a string, a bead on a string, a bead on a string. But in the, in the back of their mind, I've already planted a question. Hey, in a couple of hours, I'm going to pull you off the table. We're going to talk. I want you to be thinking about these things because we're going to talk about this. And so it's very therapeutic because by the end of the day, they've made several pieces of jewelry that are beautiful and it doesn't require them learning how to measure a bag or measure and cut fabric. It doesn't require them learning how to make something so complicated. They actually see the fruits of their labor that same day. And that is transformational. Especially people who have been groomed and exploited and told that they can't do anything so that they are completely reliant on their trafficker. Now they're able to create. Now they're able to see something that they made and see the value that it has. I mean, that is, that's so beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And they're able to see it because we, so many people um, post pictures of them, of them wearing a piece of jewelry or one of the Christmas ornaments that we make. They post it on social media. 
So we're able to say, hey, this is what you're making. And these people are wearing it. These crazy Americans, you know, bought it and they love it. And it's something that really gives them a lot more dignity than, than they would have even thought just in that first day of arrival at the workshop. As someone who's been working in the anti-trafficking space for a while, as you engage churches about this issue, what's some of the pushback that you receive from churches that you speak in? One of the questions that I got a lot is, have you, do you tell them that prostitution is a sin? And I say, no, I don't. I, it's not, I, I don't, I don't attack that it, you're, you're a sinner because you're a prostitute. I don't attack it from that angle. We're all sinners. I talk to them about Christ's love and I get them to understand their value in him. And I, when you use the word self-esteem or value or, for, or, or empowerment, those are words that make the independent fundamental Christian movement, the, the Baptist, you know, that I grew up with. Those are kind of scary words for people to hear about women's empowerment. But at the same time, I think we're waking up to the point where we need to understand that there's exploitation going on all over the place, not just in the Dominican Republic. People need to wake up and say, hey, church, you have people being exploited the next block over, or you have people being exploited in your own town that you're not willing to open your eyes to. And understanding and telling them there's a difference. And and really, one of the pushbacks that I get most is, especially being, maybe especially being a white woman, owning and accepting privilege and getting churches and getting people to understand privilege is not, maybe the word has been weaponized against white people by, by some political movements. But at the same time, it's, you have to, you have to accept that you are in a privileged position and you do have to do something with that. And I think people are afraid of that word. And so I've kind of moved past. I don't use it. Certain places, I don't use the word privilege. I use the word, we have choices. Other people have not had choices. We've had many paths offered to us. These women don't have as many paths offered, but it boils down to, it really boils down to privilege. And so I've had to kind of be creative with my communication because I don't want to, I don't want to alienate people who want to help and want to hear the story. But at the same time, I think we need to accept and own what privilege is and what we need to do with it. You said two things that really caught my attention. One, this idea of how we villainize people. You know, we see someone. Well, they chose that lifestyle. Well, we don't know all the steps. Like if an overwhelming percentage of those in the commercial sex industry were sexually exploited at a young age, which there's a Yale study. I actually featured it in my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. I think think it's in the 90 percent, you know, somewhere like maybe 97 percent. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that often those who we villainize are the same people who are victimized. And it's very easy for us to just throw a stone and cast judgment. But it's another thing altogether to actually listen to someone's story. Rather than creating a false narrative for them, we sit down with them, look them in the eye, treat them like a human being, and listen to them. Another piece that you said that I thought was so fascinating was talking about the privilege aspect. I wrote this in my book, and when I wrote it, I was like, I'm going to get emails from this from certain people, but I don't care. It's like I basically said, we need to manage our time, our treasure, our talents, and our privilege and leverage that for our most vulnerable neighbor. And I know that for certain people, that can be hard to hear. And I, I want to be a good steward of that. I want to understand that can be tough. But at the end of the day, everything that we have, we can use to better serve those most vulnerable around us. We can use to serve our most vulnerable neighbor. 
And with you all, I know you're connected to a church in San Pedro, but are you working with multiple churches as well? In San Pedro, we are connected with two other churches. There was a church plant out of our church into another area of the country, Ramon Fontana. And then there's a church revitalization going on. And so at this moment, it's just our little our little group as far as our ministry is concerned. We have these three churches that we're most intimately connected with, but then our ministry partners with other ministries and other churches just in whether it's a mercy event or whether it's speaking or whether it's some training. We've done that in the past. And our ministry tries to connect on several different levels with different organizations that reach into vulnerabilities. We work with an organization called Spanish with a Vision that is so focused on just teaching women to read. They've found so many vulnerable vulnerable women all over the country and their vulnerability is just illiteracy, is they cannot read so they're stuck in this one particular job all of their lives, but then they come in and they equip churches to teach literacy. They teach churches how to teach literacy, how to teach people how to read. And that's an an organization that we love them and respect them so much. So we have a lot of partnerships all over the island with different organizations and different ministries. Churches here, I think, are afraid of stepping into sex trafficking and they're afraid of what it looks like. It gets messy. It got a little messy on Sunday. I'm going to have to be honest with you. Somebody, one of the women that came off the streets flirted with some of the deacons on Sunday. And, uh, you know... (laughs) That's, I guess, but we're all, we're all together kind of helping that not to happen. But at the same time, hurt people hurt people. And also vulnerable people don't know, sometimes don't know how to act in a church setting. If you're going to have to, if you're going to have to say that, but that's the church needs to go out. And so we're trying to encourage other churches not to try, not to encourage, Hey, bring people in. How about the church kind of go out into their communities and. And so we've had a little bit of that type of interaction, but we still, we crave and pray for more. How did you debrief with the deacons after that? I think our, our deacons in, in certain aspects have, it happens every yeah. once in a while. They're already respectful men, but at the same time, they're also learning how to show protection and loving covering as a brother in Christ. And then just, you know, coming and getting, getting one of us is probably, is their, is their biggest is that's their biggest weapon. He was like, yo, let me go get Allison, hang on a minute, you know, kind of thing. And then they, they recognize what, they recognize who they are and they say, you know what, I want to be a loving brother in Christ. And so my husband is, is really trying to get that more and more into our church DNA of just protecting and covering these women in a loving, in a loving way. And I love that because, you know, in our churches, as we are reaching our vulnerable neighbors, they are not going to understand the culture of our church. They are not going to understand the ins and outs, and they're just going to be real. They're going to be authentic. They're going to be who they are. And in a way, that is super refreshing. That is amazing. Right. But for many of us who are in churches, whether we be church leadership or we be someone who has just been a a tender for years. It's very easy for us to focus on protecting ourselves, but we do so at the expense of protecting others. And I love what you just said about these are brothers in Christ who want to care for this person. They are not meeting them with judgment. They are not gossiping. They are saying, hey, this could get awkward really fast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring a third person into the conversation because I may not know how to 
handle this in this moment. And that is perfectly okay. Right. And because I think sometimes we try to deal with things on the fly and we may not be prepared. And so kind of bringing someone else in and saying, hey, can we talk about this? Could you help me process this without judging the person? And you said with a lot of the churches that you have worked with that many are afraid to step into anti-trafficking work. I remember speaking at a church. I'll just say it. I was speaking at a church in Queens in New York, and it was a Friday night. There were a lot of pastors there. And as I'm talking about human trafficking, this one pastor, while I'm speaking, gets up and yells and says, hey, that is not our job. That is someone else's job. How dare you put that on us? I mean, he's coming at me. And I was in the middle of writing my book. I wasn't exactly, I was pretty exhausted. And right. I think I, I mean, we had a little bit of a, a spirited interchange there. And, but it was, yeah. it was really awkward because I was taken aback because I never thought someone would interrupt my talk to tell me that churches shouldn't be involved in this. And why do you think, why do you think it is that churches and church leaders can be afraid to engage something like this? Well, I think it's, it might be, it's twofold. It might be whether it's, we can deal with, we can deal with sin that here's a yes, here's a no, don't do this, do this. And we like these lists, these clean cut lists. And I think a lot of churches, especially the churches that I grew up in were more legalistic and external in, you know, and how to, how to look the part and how to act the part. And as long as everybody's looking the part and acting the part, everybody's fine. But when you're dealing with complex trauma and when you're dealing with sustained trauma and when you're dealing with somebody who their their lifestyle is is a direct result from something, yeah, it's sin, but it was sin that was imposed on them or it's sin that was committed against them. And now they're stuck in a cycle. That's a little bit messier. You know, that's... Uh, they would be... If they could just say, hey, stop being a prostitute and a prostitute said, okay, I'll stop being a prostitute. You know, and I think that's what Jesus was was saying when he caught the woman in adultery and he's like, okay, who, who all of you have not? And, and I, I think I, that, that story would have been so fascinating instead of, because he was, Christ was looking at the adulterous woman who was caught in the act and she was, and you can't hear the air quotes on the podcast, but I'm like all over, all over the place, the air quotes. He said to her, go and sin no more. And everybody always focuses on that. But nobody focuses on all of those men who were also sinners that they said they they dropped the stone and they walked off because they know that they didn't have a, a dog in the fight or they weren't perfect. And what's so sad is they were face to face with Christ and they could have done something too. So it's easier to focus on somebody else's sin than it is to focus on our own. And so, but when you have sin, that is as a, re- a, a result of trauma, as a result of a societal issue, then it's it's not as cut and dry. And I think churches would really rather just say, do this, don't do that, and be done. Instead of saying, I'm going to have to walk with you into this long, messy process of transformation. And, it's, and I'm going to have to step into your vulnerabilities. And to do that, I also have to be vulnerable. And so at this point, this is where I'm out. And I think that's where a lot of churches don't want to deal with it because when you walk with somebody, I mean, I, we talked about this in, in your last podcast, when you end up walking with somebody through their transformation and through their vulnerability, you become vulnerable. And I think that scares so many of us. And so then we just, it would just be easier if we could just say as a church, do this, don't do this and be done. And that's not what it looks like. 
And I think there's also the temptation to avoid it, but also to do the next best thing. Like a lot of pastors and leaders that I've talked to, they're really amped on the idea of rescue because a rescue is something like we go in, we get them out and then it, then we're good. But that's not what it looks like. In fact, in my work with helping churches recognize those who are prostituted in their community and care for them, I always steer clear of the word rescue. And I say that concept, it, yes, it can be biblical, sure. But an actual rescue is something that takes a very long time. And it might be you're spending 10 years with someone, you're getting to know them. And then ultimately you find out at the very end that you didn't rescue anything. This was a person who was empowered and they chose to fight against what had been put on them and to fight for their own freedom. And I think at the end of the day, I like more of an empowerment model. And that's why Let My People Go, our mission is to empower the local church to fight human trafficking by loving those most vulnerable. We want to help churches find that passion and that desire to focus on the people that traffickers target and help them find their own way and just kind of walk alongside of them. You know, one thing that I'm excited, and I'm, I'm just going to go out and say it. I'm going to say it, Allison. I'm going to say it right now. Let My People Go and Mercy Workshop will be partnering. Yeah. And in the next year, we are planning a Let My People Go experience. For those of you who do not know what that is, Let My People Go experience is a short-term mission trip where you go to a location to learn how to fight human trafficking by loving those most vulnerable. You interact with organizations that are on the ground that are doing the work. You get the opportunity to talk to people in real time. You get the opportunity to see what the work looks like there and then get the practical tools to bring home so that you can engage your most vulnerable neighbor. And we will be having an event next year, a Let My People Go experience in San Pedro in the Dominican Republic. And you will be able to work with me and Allison and their whole team. And so for more information, send us an email at info at lmpg.org, info at lmpg, like let my people go, dot org. And we would love for you to join us on that trip. And so there will be more details in the near future. But for now, just know that next year we're going to the DR and it's going to be a great time. And I'm excited for whoever God brings on that trip. Yeah, I spoke to my to my staff this week and they're excited about they're excited they're excited about that trip. That's going to be a good experience for us to join in. No, yeah, that's going to be fun. I've I've definitely been looking forward to it. I love the work of Mercy Workshop. I love how you all are focused on vulnerability and you are not in any way sensationalizing the issue. You're meeting people where they are and you're doing it from the standpoint of your own vulnerability. And that's the heartbeat of Let My People Go. We want to see churches understand that, yes, they are vulnerable, but that's what qualifies you to care for other vulnerable people. And there are people that God has for you in your community, right on your path, most likely on your daily commute. They are there. And so Let My People Go is about seeing people's eyes opened to who's already in their community so that they can meet that need. I believe in a lot of ways we are God's answer to the needs of our community. And so I've been seeing that with Mercy Workshop and just how you are just meeting people where they are. And I just think that's so beautiful. And so, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I, I know that we're running out of time and I hate ending this conversation, but I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor just to talk to somebody who is like-minded about the vulnerability. So I do, I do appreciate that. And thank you for giving us a voice. As always, thank you for listening to More Mercy. We're glad you're here. 
If you've joined the paid partnership, take a moment and look at the resources. One of my favorites is the Let My People Go Handbook video curriculum. This companion guide trains you to better recognize and respond to your most vulnerable neighbors, walking you through the Let My People Go Handbook, which is also available on Amazon and for free as a downloadable ebook on lmpg.org. Till next time, regardless of where you are, know that there is always more mercy.